This week marks uh, 99 years since the uh, end of World War One, and I wanted to take a moment to kind of address some things that happened at the end of World War One that I think are really important. Um, because so often, one of the things I hear as uh, someone who believes in radical political change is that that kind of change um, is too violent or uh, damaging in and of itself to, um, to, to be allowed, basically. Uh, one of the, this is an argument I hear from a lot of people of the rule of law and that we need to have a um, government that is consistent and efficient. But the problem with that is, is that it's just fiction. It's just unmitigated fiction. Because at the end of World War I, you have a list of monarchies, some which had lasted over a thousand years, dissolve due to socialist revolution. And that socialist revolution in so many cases comes after the brutality of realizing what industrial warfare can do in the modern age. And so World War I was so brutal and so violent, and they were spending so many lives. I mean, you know, the, the, the largest time before that was the Napoleonic Wars. And uh, how, many, how many people did Napoleon said he, lo- he, lo- he lost a month? Was it 30,000? Not a lot, relatively yeah, I, speaking. I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think basically one, one, of the, one of the famous Napoleon quotes was always that he said he, he lost 30,000. He spent 30,000 men a month because he was a conqueror. But in World War I, you're talking about times when you're, there, there's, a, there's a cavalry charge by the French where 60,000 men and horses die. And that's a single day. And, you know, you talk about times in, in, during the Battle of Verdun where you're losing 20 and 30,000 men on either side a day. And eventually that violence becomes to a point where once the war is ended and everyone gets away from the battlefield, they go... Absolutely, we cannot allow monarchies, this, this idea that, that a divine ruler has granted a single human being with the divine right to rule, and that all crimes and all injustice flows from their dispensing of the king's or God's justice. And like that idea has always carried through, it still carries through, we still espouse the idea of I mean, I hear it a lot, of divine justice or divine retribution. And that idea becomes so repugnant to these people that have been through this terrible, terrible crisis and lost so many friends and family members that they just rise up and say, nope, you can't have it anymore. It's too much. The, the cost for this efficiency of a single ruler is too much. And eventually... The greatest armed proletariat that has ever existed in the United States of America. We have more guns. Vladimir Lenin would, would have a field day with the armed proletariat. He was working with mud farmers who had single-shot rifles. <laughs> and we're talking about boys who got armored Humvees just ready to go. And so the day the armed proletariat in the U.S. wakes up, and realizes the massive weight and burden that a tiny, 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 tiny little group of people has over them, it'll be over in a day. And I think, I think what's, 
something we should keep in mind is this is this this great Rosa Luxemburg quote um, that she's the last word she ever wrote before she got murdered by uh, the grouping the 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 far right grouping that would eventually turn into the Nazis. Uh, order prevails in Berlin. You foolish lackeys. Your order is built on sand. Tomorrow the revolution will rise up again, clashing its weapons. And to your horror, it will put, proclaim with trumpets blazing. I was, I am, I shall be. Mm-hmm. And we, we were, we are, and we shall be yeah. the future yeah. uh, of, of mankind. Talking about the, the, that, that same thing, one of the, one of the greatest <clears throat> images uh, from the October Revolution in, in, in Russia, uh, which happened in 1917, 100 years ago, it, one of the greatest things that I hold from that, or like one of the greatest images is when the, all of the proletariat has assembled in front of the Tsar's palace. And they've essentially got, you know, they don't have work, they don't have food, they've been eating turnips for two winters, and so they're all starving, they have nothing to do except either produce war arms or go die in war or starve to death. And so they're all standing in front of the palace demonstrating, and the coursers, the royal uh, guard of the palace, were instructed to go and disband them. And send them all home. And they had done this a couple other times on different occasions where they had had pretty violent clashes. But this time, the coursers just rode their horses through the crowd and they winked and nodded at the demonstrators. And I think that that is such a massive, in, like, I, like, that to me has always stuck out because even when the machine of power is there and even when the structure exists, it is still made up of individual human beings. The thing we talk about sometimes when we talk about like police is like, you know what? There's a lot of institutional police brutality that exists and the police system is one that breeds brutality against minorities and, and, the, and, po- and people in poverty. But those individual c- policemen are proletariats. They're workers. They have to go and clock into their jobs and they have to obey by the rules that their upper, you know, their higher ups give them. And all it takes is them to ride their horse through the crowd and just wink. And that, that, that is what, that moment in Russia is what told the protesters, there's nothing stopping them walking in, into the Tsar's palace. And that's exactly, I tell you what, if we, did the, if we did the revolution today and the Secret Service winked at us as we walked up to the White House, we'd know exactly what that meant. We would know, we would not have a doubt in the world what that meant. Nope. And that's, I mean, that's what we have to remember, you know, it seems, I, there's this famous historical saying that at first revolution appears impossible, and after it happens, it appears like it was inevitable, right? And, and right now it may look impossible, but, but we, we can work on setting the groundwork, we can work on doing so much stuff to make it possible, and then when the day, you know, the day could be tomorrow, it's gonna appear, and it will, we will all know that this is what has to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened 99 years ago across Europe. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. (laughs) Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong 
way down yonder in the Indian nation to ride my pony on the reservation in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. Now way down yonder in the Indian nation, the cowboy's life is my occupation in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. I'm Adam Burnett. And I'm Carl Roberts. And this is Red Star Over Oklahoma. We are a small political and news podcast broadcasting about left politics and left politics in Oklahoma. How you doing this week, Carl? Uh, doing pretty good. Keeping it real this week. Keeping it real. How about you? Oh, you know, recovering from a Sooner victory yesterday over the Texas Christian Horny Toads, which I never understood why a Christian school would choose a mascot with the word horny in the title, but whatever, you know, at least they're not Baylor. Woo! <laughs> uh, but it's been a pretty, pretty good week. Pretty fun week in news, too. Yeah, some uh, some some crazy stuff has been uh going on. Uh, some pretty crazy stuff has has come out too. Yeah, uh, and, that I. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to do you want to take us on the uh the the Paradise Papers run? Yes, uh, I I think that would be fun. Um, and I think it's important. And I want to I want to say this to start off. Like, there's a bunch of crazy shit in the Paradise Papers, right? And there's a bunch of really high quality journalists doing a bunch of great work to like go into the specifics about how like Bono is actually a scumbag and not a you know and so, philanthropist or and, something, yeah, right? Yeah, and so it, so just just to set the ground, so the Paradise Papers were um, uh, uh, if we if we remember a few months ago, the Panama Papers came out and it was a basically a law firm released a massive dossier involving where um, the richest of the rich have been hiding their money in um, uh, uh, offshore, offshore banking and offshore accounts um, from the U.S. principally, but also from the EU. Yeah. And well, so and the- also, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> that they released it. Süddeutsche uh, Zeitung, a German yeah. newspaper, mm-hmm. um, got it. And they, they're also the newspaper that got the uh, Panama Papers. Yeah, and so, and yeah, so, like, like I said, the Panama Papers do that. And then the Paradise Papers is the same thing. The, the, this German newspaper, which I'll, I'll let uh, Mr. Germany pronounce all the fun words for us. But um, the, this newspaper received this. And I, I, you know, just as a journalist, whenever I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, they must have actually done a really good job with the Panama Papers. Because if you're someone who has like – and basically this is another package of documents that's exactly like that. It, it's just got more names, more people's money, and, and where they've hide, hidden it and what that – and, and we're going to talk about kind of what that means and what those things mean. But yeah, like the the – the, just the, the overview is that, yeah, these papers, but I, I, whenever I saw that the same newspaper had been given them from a different source, I was like, man, they must have done an awesome job with the Panama Papers because to, you know, as someone with that level of source, like you're talking like a, you know, a, a lawyer who deals with these kind of massive accounts, you know, multi-million and multi-billion dollar accounts. And they're leaking this information. Like you have to be pretty confident that the journalist you're handing that information to isn't going to turn around and do something dumb. What well, I mean, this is so like Süddeutsche Zeitung is one of the best German newspapers, and they also like when you read through. I think it was the Guardian's explanation of it mm-hmm. uh, where I saw this. They mentioned like, oh, where did this come from? And it says like Süddeutsche Zeitung got this stuff, and they have said, you want to ask about who released this shit? You could go fuck your own mom. Get the hell out of here. Yep. <laughs> Um, because they take that seriously, and they did do a really good job with the Panama Papers. Um, and they they've put out a re- a ton of really high quality coverage uh, in English. 
Um, of course, it's a German language newspaper, but they put everything out in both languages. So, um, and I just want to like start talking about the broad deal of what's going on here, right? Like how what how this functions in, in general, because I think it's really important, not only because these people are robbing us, these these multinational corporations, these individuals in these papers. They're robbing the publics of the countries they're in. They're robbing the entirety of the world. Um, it's also really indicative of, of a, a contradiction in modern capitalism, in late capitalism, between the, the entirely cosmopolitan nature of capital once you reach a certain amount of money um, and, and the utterly provincial laws that govern that, right? And by that, I mean that like international capital doesn't know borders. You can move across borders if you have enough money. Money can move across borders without a lot of problems anymore these days. And yet regulatory bodies outside of the EU don't exist that have actual transnational force, right? Mm -hmm. um, and even within the EU, something that's very important um, to mention is that this stuff is also happening in inside the EU. And the EU is the only properly transnational organization that has any kind of legal sway, right? So here's, here's what basically is happening here. Um, once you are rich enough, right? And by rich enough, I mean like offensively rich, you know, like, like multiple hundreds of millions of dollars or more. It's um, uh, just just to interject quickly. It's not even that much. Like when you really talk about it, because like a lot of this is Basically, one of the things that I always resonates with me is it's much cheaper to be rich than it is to be poor. It's incredibly yeah. expensive to be poor. Um, but when you're really rich, like you actually get to a point where like you can just avoid paying taxes by putting a lot of this money in other places. And like it, you're not talking. I mean, you know, if you've got a high six figure yearly income, they're doing this. And even if you're not doing it, the bank that is holding your money or the investor you're using to put your money places and to grow your money, because your money's not in a bank, it's in investments at that point. And so if you're doing that, <clears throat> your your money's already off there. It's it, it 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 while that is still, you know, less than one percent of the US population, it's still not it's not cartoonish, right? You know, it's not Donald Duck jumping into a big old thing gold coins. It's the dudes who run the banks and those guys. Yeah, and that's the thing is that once you get once once you you know either a bank or a company um, or an individual has reached a certain amount of of richness, right? Mm -hmm. Of of material wealth, um, it becomes cheaper for them to do this. And so, like someone, your average Joe, people earning you know let's say two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year or less. 100% cannot afford this at all, right? But then you start talking about, say, Apple or Nike or, um, you know, someone as rich as Bono or the Queen, um, you can save huge amounts of money on your taxes by, by moving money around through tax havens, right? Yeah. And what a tax haven is, is a place, not always, but generally, that's a small location, right? Um, Cayman Islands, like, U.S. Virgin, well, not the U.S. Virgins actually. Uh, the Caymans are where the Panama Papers came from. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these ones here are, and, and this is why I said this is important that it's not always like this because the, the Netherlands is one of the countries doing this. Um, right. But 
the Isle of Man or yeah. Jersey, which are uh, British crown dependencies that aren't in the EU, um, but are located Jeez. right around the UK. Um, I, I guess the UK won't be in the EU for much longer, but a lot of this is happening in uh, British overseas islands. So, well, and, and places so, so, Bermuda, the Cook Islands, Malta, yeah. right? Yeah, so, and, 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 and one thing that I think is important here, too, is that, like, you know, so if you think about, like, you know, the fact that, like, you know, if you make $20,000 a year and you pay, you know, let's say, you know, your tax rate is low, so you're only paying, you know, 12% of, of your income in taxes, um, that has nothing to do with your sales tax or your gasoline tax or fees that the state of Oklahoma is going to try and put on cigarettes. So, you know, there is a lot more taxes that people pay, especially poor people who are buying a lot of their things from stores. Um, but, um, you know, when you talk about someone who is getting an income tax rate of 12 or so percent on $20,000, you know, that ends up being actually, you know, that's, that's really, you know, when you don't have that much money, those couple bucks that you're giving the government are actually really choking you. It is actually really hard for you to do that and like actually get that because like, when you're talking about that much money, like that little bit of money, when you take a little bit away, it's just like, okay, well, now I can't buy lo like enough loaves of bread for my family for the year, you know, or whatever. Like, you can actually do a math where you're like, wow, I actually am in a loss. When you talk about someone like Warren Buffett, who's got billions of dollars and owns several corporations, and he does this so that he can pay a 7% tax, and then he says, well, all the things I did were legal because we're allowed to do that because... Gover the government has been run by pieces of shit who have made this let you know written laws that say it's legal to do these things but then he says all right well i do this because one it's legal and two i are like i already pay like this guy paying 12 percent on twenty thousand dollars is paying this little bitty piece of money it's minuscule i'm paying hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in taxes are you kidding me why why should we do that but here's the thing that money doesn't matter to him at all he, yeah, he, he, he has more than enough money to buy bread for his family for the whole year. Like, that's not a problem well, for him. And the problem is that these poor people, you know, like, like, that's why whenever I hear people talk about, well, Warren Buffett only pays 7% in taxes, but he pays so much money. It's such a big pile. I'm like, yeah, but he doesn't need any of it. He could live yeah, off only... $100,000 a year and be fine. Like, there gets to be a point where it's literally like, like, someone like Bill Gates... Mark Zuckerberg, if you look at how they're spending their money now, they're basically like, we don't know what to do with it anymore. Like, like Zuckerberg's you, you hit a point. President. He knows exactly what to do with it. Like, you hit a point where it's like, like, the reason Bill Gates is such a philanthropist is because he's hit a point where he, he cannot spend his money in any other way. He's just like, well, I can leave it in a fucking bank account or I can use it to try and get rid of, of, of like, AIDS in Africa or something. I have, I just... I don't have anything else to do with it. I literally can't consume it anymore. I'm at a point where consumption has become impossible. And I think, right? that, I think that that's like a major fault of like capitalism as a system too. And I think you're about to say this too, but like a, a, a massive part for me is that like capitalism, like there's, you know, I don't want to read my undergraduate thesis, but like when Adam Smith talks about like the wealth of nations and the accumulate in the wealth of nations, when he talks about the accumulation of wealth, it's just like capitalism has a major flaw that at a certain point, a single individual can't spend all the money they make. And like, I get it in America, you should be able to make as much money and do whatever you're, but like, that's just one, like, that's also a fiction. Like we can all share, like not like, like we can all, ha there are way more yachts than people use. 
and we can all go get on them. And there are cellars full of champagne. And guess what? We live in the industrial age. We can make more champagne. I promise. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and but I think what I think is most interesting about these uh, these papers are are two things, right? Um, and the first thing is that contradiction that I mentioned. Um, and what that contradiction is, and what is what is most important to understand here is that this contradiction incentivizes the creation of places like like Bermuda or Antigua and Barbada, et cetera, et cetera, these small tax havens, right? Because it incentivizes countries um, that don't have access to, say, the raw material goods or the, the built-up industry, et cetera, et cetera, that exists in, say, industrial countries or places that do have good raw materials, like the Democratic Republic of the Congo or something. It incentivizes these small, essentially, for the most part, they are quite literally islands mm. to do this because they need an economy too, right? They need a tax base, blah, blah, blah. Tourism is a really crappy tax base because the second the economy goes down, or you, get you know, hit by a hurricane. Yeah, you get hit by a hurricane. People just want to go see their different things, et cetera. You suddenly don't have a tax base anymore. So you say, here's the deal we're going to have really low tax rates. We're going to incentivize you to move your company here. And we're going to set it up in a way. Uh, that Switzerland is very famous for doing, um, that provides a lot of protection to people that have bank accounts and companies in, in whatever country this happens to be. Um, the reason it does this is, you know, because these countries also deserve stuff and they can't get it otherwise because they can't offer anything to anybody else, you know? Uh -huh. Like, what are you going to fucking mine on Antigua and Barbada? They have sand and that's it, right? What are you going to, why are you going to put a, a factory there because it doesn't make sense to do that when you could put a factory somewhere that has a deep water port that has a high quality transportation infrastructure that is closer to the raw materials mm -hmm. you need, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, well, and I think, I think one of then, the things with this too, is that I hear conservatives that I know in my life screaming when you talk about this and they say, well, the way we fix that problem is to lower taxes here because if we lower taxes, then they won't have an incentive to go to these other islands. But I think what both you and I would say is that that is a like false argument because it's a reg that's a regulation problem. Like we need to actually tell people that they're not allowed to move their money offshore. It's, yeah. And so to like, make it illegal. Like, like the thing, for example, with, Facebook or Apple is that the but Apple is the one implicated in this. I, I want to make that clear. Um, Apple moves its headquarters around and then reports its earnings. Um, does things like, for example, putting trademarks at uh, its headquarters in Ireland. It's since moved from Ireland because they saw that more regulation was coming to Ireland because the EU was mad at Ireland for this, right? Mm -hmm. And so it moved its its uh, subsidiaries and its main location around. Um, so that it would pay less money. And so what it can do is say, oh, the iPhone trademark is held in by our head corporation located in Malta, right? Mm -hmm. For example, I, I don't know if that's where they had it. Uh, or, or rather, let's stick with the Ireland example before Ireland put more taxes on them. Um, so what then happens is that every single penny that they make from the brand iPhone gets reported as profits in Ireland, even though like 94% of their work et cetera, et cetera, all the stuff that produces that profit occurs in the United States, right? Mm. Um, but because they've said, oh, our main location is in Ireland and we're renting 
from the Irish company, the trademark, they can report it as profits there, transfer all the money there, pay the taxes on it there that exist, and then move the money back to wherever they want it. Yeah. And they move around. They have like a legal department. Both Apple and Nike have a legal department whose job it is is to figure out where is going to be the best location for the longest time and when threats are going to come so they need to move. Um, and, and to that conservative point of, oh, we need to lower taxes, that's the right deal. This accepts as the horizon of political activity the nation state. It says, you know, here's our government, and then there's their government, and these two governments, that's just how that works. And we can't have some kind of international regulation or something, which is actually what's needed here. Because when we say, oh, the right thing we need to do is cut taxes, blah, 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 what that means is those companies should have a say over how their money is spent, greater than they do right now. Mm -hmm. We don't want that. Instead, what we should say is, no, there's international regulation here. If you have 94% of your value being produced in the United States, you have a duty to pay for shit here. Yeah. Even better, we should nationalize the company and say, no, it's, that's the people shit now. We own this. But if, if we just take this as, as, as a starting point, if you have your company somewhere, if you are producing value there, you know, where are they getting these people? From America, through American laws. They're getting them that people that have gone through American public schools, people that use the public infrastructure in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. people that only can exist because the people around them are doing that as well, right? Well, I think it's important, too, to say that, like, this is something that, like, industry and government have already worked hand-in-hand, and it's one of the things that, like, a lot of people say, like, oh, you know, we shouldn't let socialists be socialists because they'll, like, like you just said, nationalize the industry. But, like, that has already happened. Like, it is already, like, laws were written specifically so that, like, they could move money this way. Like, it would, like... While it is really difficult to like do some of that international trading, but trade stuff, but like the the kind of regulation you're talking about, where you're saying like, all right, you have if like you have to be taxed relative to like the production you do in the U.S. Like that is something that you could do, and like it would make sense to do it that way. But like I think it is also important to say that like the thing that like so many people fear when they hear you say let's nationalize this industry and make it the people's and seize the means of the pro of the production <laughs> that way like that has already happened except the means have been seized by like literally like Tim Cook like that like that is the yeah problem. the corporations have done yeah, it. like th like they like they have seized the means and like I get that like it's their means to their end but like that's the whole rub that's what a dialectic is it's something that, like. It, it it is both true and false because they, they have the means, they are the owner, but they're using other people's <clears throat> labor. They're using the proletariat labor. And then they're exploiting and that by, not, by creating a system that works with government to not pay back what the, the cost of that labor is. It's like Uber. Uber doesn't provide the necessary backdrop of security for its drivers, and that's why their drivers get screwed over so hard. And that's like also they, why they're so cheap. Yeah, exactly. As it's well, because they're not important. paying for the upkeep on the car and the and the gas and the roads and the food for the the person, and so they can make it the taxi ride cheap, and they can make your iPhone. Well, they make those for shitloads of money, but like th those things are that way because like there is a government like involved here. Like the the, the nationalization and the privatization, like those things have already been done. Like what we are talking about is doing the opposite and giving these back to the people who literally work there. Yeah. And it's also 
one of the one of the most important things too to notice about this and to say very expressly because I remember in the 2000 uh, in the 2012 election after um, Occupy Wall Street, so many people were like, "Oh, class war! You only talking about class war? We have class war today. Sorry. It is class war when people move this shit." move their profits from the U.S. or from some country where they're making most of their money through a tax haven and don't pay taxes on it. That is literal class war. Yep. They are taking money that they understand that they can make because of governmental spending in a certain country, and they are stealing it from the tax man mm-hmm. so that they can have more profit. What are they fucking doing with that? What is Apple doing with that money? Apple is sitting on some of the largest cash reserves in the world. Apple is basically its own fucking government at this point, right? It's no, big Facebook enough. is for sure. And, and, and they do it and they do this shit. And then, you know, people get mad at us when we say, oh, you know, we want to represent workers. We want to end class society or something. No, we want to end the class war mm-hmm. that they are doing, that they are literally doing their best to protect and and make happen against us you know ask yourself why doesn't the state of oklahoma for example have the money to fund itself right now because of class war rich people stealing from the public why Mm -hmm. is there austerity all across the european continent why is there a why are so many people pushing for austerity in the u.s uh government in dc why because they want to make rich people richer. That is literal class war. Mm-hmm. There's this, uh, when, when people talk about Marxism and socialism, you know, oftentimes as this like thing that's supposed to scare people, they'll say, oh, but Marx wants the dictatorship of the proletariat. Yep. Yeah, that's a phrase that's used. That's a phrase that's Love used. That but phrase. the other phrase that he uses to describe the governments of his time and of our time as well um, is the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. It is a government and a society ordered for the protection of the class interest of the rich. Well, and, and quick, quick, uh, just half-second grammar lesson. Very important to note that when he says dictatorship of the proletariat, that is a translation of, of saying that was, did he say that in French or German? He said in German. He said it in German. What, what, it, what it doesn't mean is the dictatorship of the proletariat by other people. It means the proletariat Working people controlling is the society. Yeah, yeah, like, but like, that's just a fancy fun, like, it's a fancy turn of phrase for saying democracy. Like, it literally, like, like, I mean, we've both read all of for these sources, economic but democracy. like, yeah, but this like, is important, not just political democracy, but, but also yeah. economic. Yeah, but like, I mean, we, I mean, the talk about the, the the Paris Commune and all of the stuff that came before that, where they're talking about how to set up voting structures that are actually representative and not dumbass electoral colleges from 1776. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, if anyone ever says, oh, you want the dictatorship of the proletariat, you want a dictatorship, you tell them immediately, I don't want to live in the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie anymore. Mm-hmm. Because by dictatorship, what, he, what Marx is referring to is in, in Marxist theory, right, this idea that we have a government designed for a certain class, for a certain economic class, the bourgeoisie, right? And so all they're saying is that, oh, we need a transitionary government. And depending on how you read them, that transitionary government can be like a six-month thing, depending on what you take as important. Yeah. Um, and that's the point, is that we do have the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. That's what the Paradise Papers prove, that we have these legal structures. And that's the offensive thing, is that this is legal most of the time. And that is so that they can rob us. That is what the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie is. 
Tell your fucking friends. <laughs> well, you know what you should also tell you, you should also tell your friends about is that um, forty years after he he was called to action, President Trump finally made it to Vietnam. He uh, <laughs> he got off the chopper and he's looking for Charlie, and uh, he's gonna let us know probably via Twitter uh, with his new two hundred eighty character limit. Uh, what he's going to do to Charlie and how he likes the smell of uh, napalm in the morning. Wait, did you see him on a, did you, did you see the thing on, from him on Twitter where he was basically saying, uh, with all due respect, Kim Jong-un, you're fat and smelly. Oh, uh, yeah, cause, yeah. Because that's real. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like that, it's just, like I sometimes, because I, like I, a big part of what I've done in my like learning about history um, is like thinking about individuals, uh, within certain contexts. Like, you know, like I, you know, think about like, you know, what was Julius Caesar, the man, like, you know, what kind of food did he like? What was, you know, you know, how did Winston Churchill decide what cigar he wanted to smoke or whatever? Like those little human humanizing moments I think about sometimes. And just like for Trump, when I think about humanizing moments, it's like him, in the hotel room after having been at like an like a 13 hour meeting with Xi Jinping and he's just like these Chinese don't know how to count very well all their writing is upside down i am so mad <laughs> because they do not have the whoppers the size i like them here and also this 280 character limit is great but it's just like I just, those are the little like it's just like I know it's just like I don't have any sympathy for him at all. No, I don't. And he's he's had the fucking red carpet rolled out for him everywhere he goes. Yeah, and so he's so so President Trump is doing um, a tour of some Asian countries: South Korea, also known as South, uh, Japan, mi- South Korea, military China, bases, yeah, Vietnam, the Philippines, yeah, yeah, and like I I I have. A, we talked about World War One earlier, but like World War Two and like the Vietnam and Korean Wars, like our influence in like East Asia has been like pretty devastating in a lot of ways. Yeah, so it's not been to good. see Donald Trump over there. I don't know. It makes my skin crawl a little bit because there's just so many atrocities and so many bad decisions and like you know so much history, like not really taught U.S. history um, of the terrible things that the U.S. did in those places. And it's just kind of, I don't know, it makes me sad to see this orange puppet walking around on these places that have been so destroyed by the U.S. I really wish we had somebody who would do something a little bit better. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that basically what he's... (laughs) What he's offering these people is just bullshit. Yeah. You know? He's come he's come all this way to basically say and ironically to a meeting in Vietnam that was about multilateral trade agreements and he's come there to say fuck off. If y'all want this, you have to come to us individually. Mm-hmm. And we're going to we're, we're only going to do it if it's good for us, you know? And well, to to be for an American president to be in Vietnam and say fuck you. Uh the only way we'll get, we'll come to an agreement with you is is if it's good for us. It's just you know to spit in the face of the Vietnamese people that are still living with Agent Orange. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I think you're exactly right. I think one of the big things that I always get hung up on in this sense is that we have played 
before it was the Middle East, it was Asia. And we played the proxy war game and the turn other people's against each other's game so long to facilitate our military industrial complex that like when I see him, yeah, when he made the statement that basically like he's one of the big things that like deal maker Donald Trump is running around doing is that like he's trying to like basically pit these different um, countries against each other and to say, oh yeah, well, if you don't, don't make a coalition and come to us as a union and try and like, you know, work with us to make a, like a, an equitable trade deal. I want to work with each of you individually so that I can screw over each of you individually. And like that has like been the historic, like that's what we did with Laos and Thailand and the Philippines and the Vietnam and both Koreas and except we did it with war and now we're coming back in like the soft power bullshit where we're like, oh, haha, we're not going to invade you, but we're just going to make just destroy you economically anyway. No, and interestingly, too, I mean, is the rise of China. China is going to be the world's next superpower. And what you see happening is all these countries saying, even though they don't really like it necessarily, especially Vietnam, but they're saying, maybe we, maybe we need to be talking to China now. Maybe China should be the hegemon in, mm. in the Eastern Pacific. Uh, or I guess that's... Yeah, that is the Eastern Pacific. That's weird. Yeah, um, it, 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 it. yeah that's mind-breaking. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, but I, I, the only reason I feel comfortable calling it the Eastern Pacific is because of World War II. It's like, that's how I know, like, the Eastern Pacific is how I know how all the island hopping went. <laughs> but, it's, but it's west of our Western Pacific. Yeah, well, yeah, and don't, and don't try and figure out where the West Indies are in relation to any of that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because they're in the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's essentially, to me, kind of the big joke, right? Um, is that Trump, this great, oh, America first, this, you know, great example of, like, American shittiness on mm -hmm. a foreign policy level, of, like, America's fucking better than everybody else. This embodiment of, like, the shitty white guy that thinks he's the best that is actually just a diaper stain right um is going to be the person who oversees the end of american hegemony yeah well, and, and he's going to be the one that takes us from the unipolar post cold war order mm -hmm. to a multipolar world where the western end of the Eurasian landmass and the eastern end of the Eurasian landmass have economic ties that end up eclipsing the importance of, of the, the Pacific and Atlantic rims. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and I think, that, I think that you're exactly right in that characterization of it because one of the things this speaks to is like a misunderstanding of history, in my opinion. Because like for the last, you know, since 1945, uh, you know, since the Korean War in Vietnam, um, you know, we are using a historical context, especially in Vietnam and Korea with the colonization that they were overthrowing. Like we were using a very historical context to exert hard power in a way that created money. And now we're in this weird place where like we already have our endless proxy war in the Middle East that we're just going to, you know, string out until the end of time, as long as it's, you know, that cash cow is making money and us in Russia can keep fighting for unlimited amounts of time. But the other thing with, with now we're going back to these places where we use this hard power to create money with no, it literally 
had nothing to do with the soldiers, the political governments, or the like countries themselves. It was just about like having an excuse to build guns and build bombs in the U.S. so that the you know military industrial complex could have more production and tune to it, and this ingrain itself further into the government. And so like now yeah. that we have had already had like exploited them in that way, now we come back with this soft power where it's like, oh, we'll do the exact same thing. And it's just like, that is just so misunderstood because guess what? Everyone in that country, Vietnam, is characterized for their countrymen by the Vietnam War. Korea is characterized by their countrymen as the, as the defining modern moment for their country. Like, it just, it speaks to a complete lack of understanding of these, like, people who are there. Because those people don't see, like, they don't see this the way Americans do. We're like, oh, he's a deal maker. He's negotiating, blah, blah, blah. Because they didn't get taught about Vietnam in, in high school or junior high. Instead, they are, instead, these individual people, you know, these Vietnamese people who are over there are going, are you serious? Are you serious? This guy who was responsible for the death of my father, the, 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 the government that split my family in two, all right? The government that orphaned me is now trying to exert soft power to like, oh, you have to buy our goods at a higher rate. Are you Like, how would that yeah, sound? Yeah, it's just not, it's not going to fly. No, it's just, oh my gosh, it's just so ridiculous. And, and... And on some level, I think the best part is that this is what he's doing economically, but he's also sp spreading the, the message about North Korea where he's like, we all have to be unified. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how fucking idiotic this guy is, mm -hmm. is that he sits here and he, and he just brings up all these wounds for all these people like you just described, I think, terribly accurately. Um, and then he also says we need to be unified when it comes to the North Korean threat. It's just it's ridiculous, you know, like that we have. A diaper stain of a president, <laughs> and he, oh, yeah. and and he's walking around Asia. Yeah. Well, speaking of diaper stains, walking around the state of Oklahoma, uh, you want to jump into uh, what the Senate decided to do? Yes, yes. We had some pretty crazy shit go down uh, this week during the special session. I think it's what the seventh week of the special session now. Um, yeah. It's got to be seventh. Or eight. It's not good. Uh, not, not a good thing. Um, but what, what happened that was a big deal this week is that the, the Senate passed a grand bargain bill, right? Um, is is called ha uh, House Bill 1054X. Um, and it had identical wording to a bill that had not been voted out of committee, but was in committee and able to be voted on in the House because funding... Uh, measures have to originate in the House, just like they do at the national level. Um, and this was a shitty bill for everybody, right? House Bill 1054 was something that both sides of the aisle hated for different reasons. Um, it had a, an increase of the gross production tax to 4% for the first 36 months. It had the cigarette fee, uh, the cigarette tax, um, and, and some other stuff. And most importantly, too, it had the pay raise for teachers, mm -hmm. uh, the $3,000 pay raise for teachers. Um, and it had the support of four out of the five actors that anything needs right now to get through. So the 75% of the Republicans in the Senate, in the state Senate, 75% uh, or well, just Democrats and uh, Democrats in the state Senate, because if... And then uh, the governor... 
uh, and the House Democrats. About 80% of the House Democrats voted for it. And so they had a vote on it on, on the House floor, which is what Speaker McCall had been trying to avoid for a while, because the whole time Speaker McCall had said to Democrats, and this was actually a thing he used as an attack against Democrats in a conservative reading this we, we did a few weeks earlier from the Oklahoman, right? Um, where he's where they were saying, oh, Speaker McCall brought 75% of his caucus to vote for this. And if there's going to be a thing he's going to bring to the floor, he's going to bring 75%. And Democrats didn't. Democrats on this one brought 80% of their caucus. And Speaker McCall, who said explicitly, repeatedly and often, if he was going to let something come to a House, to a vote on the House floor, he would bring 75% of his caucus. And they were five votes short of getting this this deal passed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a big deal because he said that the whole time they left the vote open for about an hour and a fucking half, did something illegal where they went for a caucus meeting while the vote was happening, in closed doors, came back, got one vote to change, and we ended up with a 71 to 26 vote, uh, to 27 vote, keeping it from happening. Yeah. Um, and at this point, right, the five groups of people that have to be happy to get a bill passed um, have all said, we can do this, except for the House Republican Caucus. And that all that's out, that is all at Speaker McCall's feet. And what we're seeing now, you know, as, as these days go on in special session, right, we spend like $30,000 a goddamn day for this special ses- session to happen. And we're not getting anywhere. So we're spending more and more money and the later we pass a tax increase, any kind of tax increase, or a cash and cuts pro, uh, program, which is the backup plan, which basically means rating cash reserves that we have, and then still cutting programs, um, we're losing tax revenue that we could have because those taxes aren't going into effect. Not only that, did so, you see? Did you see that they um, okayed an exemption for oil? oil trucks and oil production equipment from the uh, vehicle sales tax increase that uh, happened this spring, this week. No, I That happened not. Thursday. What? Yeah. Yeah, that mm. happened Thursday. The House uh, okayed it. It's going to go to Senate, but the House okayed it uh, as an exemption. Yeah, all oil producing equipment, anything that would fall under like a uh, – uh, anyone, anything that would fall under the vehicle, in, the increase in vehicle sales tax um, that um, they they passed in the spring, now all oil field equipment uh, and oil production equipment is, that would would have fallen under that is just exempt. So, yeah, no, they're cutting taxes for oil companies during this. They got that done. Great. I mean, this is the class war we were class warfare we were talking about earlier. Except it's not really the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, it's the dictatorship of The Devin. morons? Oh, sorry. Devin, not the morons. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's, I mean... I, I, I was, I was, I had, there were a, a, several articles I was looking at this in, in preparation for this story, and one of the ones that I read from the Tulsa World basically said that where we are in the special session now is that a lot, like, Fewer and fewer people are willing to even negotiate or really even have conversations. Basically, we're getting so close to Christmas that these people are just like, yeah, 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 whatever. We'll put it off until next year. And there were some comments. I think, um, I think the, let me see if I can find it real fast. 
Um, Kyle Hilbert, uh, who is an Oklahoma representative, uh, he's a Republican out of Depew. Um, he said that the cuts we'll make have to make out of special session won't be terrible. In reference that the stuff that's going on right now, like, is bad, but like they've basically already cut everything that they, you know. The DHS already knows. Like we've talked so much about the terrible cuts that DHS is suffering, but like they have already been told what all they're going to lose. And then he goes on to say, but the cuts will have. Uh, but the cuts we'll have to make next summer will be brutal. And so that, to me, is just, it, 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 you know, it pushes it off. But, you know, next summer, what are we going to do? Are we just going to disband DHS? Like, I just don't know how much farther, like, how much worse it can get. I mean, we're going to, I don't know what else could happen other than, um, essentially, like, we stop paying for public school. You know, the University of Oklahoma stops receiving public funding. It already receives less than 10% of its funding from the state government, right? You know, lawmakers stop getting paid, which is really bad because then the only people that are going to be able to do it are rich people, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we already can't even police the entirety of our state, which I don't, like, mind, but we can't afford to pay for there to be highway patrol in the fucking panhandle anymore on some level because of the the restrictions on how much uh highway patrol can drive like we're getting to a point and already this was happening before this this special session started and before we were gonna have to start talking about these cuts where like day-to-day life is going to be dangerous just because the basic infrastructure of the state of oklahoma isn't going to be good enough you know is it going to be safe Already our bridges aren't safe. Already, if, any, if you've ever fucking driven in Tulsa, you know how bad the roads are. Um, but what else is it going to be, you know? And also that the fat cats at the Devon Penis Building and Chesapeake Energy can rob us. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And what I, think, what I think is interesting, though, about that and what, what might be an issue in the next session um, is this group of small and medium-sized oil companies that want to make it a ballot question about ending the tax cuts on gross production, right? Um, And so this uh, is a group called Restore Oklahoma Now Incorporated. um, And they want to essentially do a petition to get it on the ballot for November 2018 uh, to raise the gross production tax all the way to 7% um, and, and make that permanent, right? Because right now those are tax exemptions for, for fracking wells, essentially. That, that's it. And this group um, is saying that they want to increase that and then put as a thing for revenue, um, for teacher revenue, put all of that into a lockbox that can only be spent on public education. Yeah. Um, and this is, I think, a really important this is really important to talk about because it says something about the massive contradictions in, in the state of Oklahoma's economy, right? Um, because this group, Restore Oklahoma Now Incorporated, is also representing another group, the Oklahoma Energy Producers Alliance. Um, that is, again, another coalition of small oil producers. And so the composition of the bourgeoisie in the state of Oklahoma is such that the poorer members of it, those running small oil companies, you know, that own some stuff and rent it or that do um, 
rig repair that provide the workers for rigs that do a little bit of drilling but not a huge amount um, are fully aware that these tax benefits are simply resulting in greater monopolization of the market by the large companies, right? Yeah. And what they want to do is push against it because they also are not in a position to do what, say, Devon or Chesapeake can do. And essentially, you know, they can hire whoever the fuck they want. They can move around if they need to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These guys are able, like, Devon and Chesapeake are at the point where I wouldn't be surprised if we got another Panama or Paradise Papers and they were in them, right? Yeah. They're big enough companies for that. And these, these people can't afford that. And so they have to live with the infrastructure here. You know, they can't fly their fucking private jet to their home in Sonoma and live there the whole year while they're headquartered in Oklahoma City because of the low taxes. They live here, and yeah. they get that. And this group has managed to raise already over uh, $700,000 after one week of fundraising, right? Wow. To get this on the ballot. That's a really big deal. But what you have to keep in mind is that because this is going to be hundreds of millions of tax dollars getting taken out of the accounts of Devon and Chesapeake, what we're going to see is the most expensive battle in public relations that has ever happened in the state of Oklahoma, if if they try to put this on the question. Yeah. Um, And we all got to be prepared for that. Um, We've talked before about how oil companies, about how big oil in the state of Oklahoma spends all this goddamn money on, say, donating to schools, on advertising, on acting like they do good stuff for the state of Oklahoma. Um, and you, we have to be ready for that because they're they going to be willing to drop a couple million dollars mm-hmm. on ad campaigns. They're going to try and swamp this with their money because it, it saves them money to spend $50 million on advertising. Um, oh, yeah, it does. It's, well, and that and, was kind of one of the things we talked about earlier, too, like the, the, the argument about, like, like, these people will do anything to save money and like not even like save like saving money isn't saving money saving money is like like depriving like it's like consolid like it consolidating and taking money away from like people who need it it's taking resources away when you're like oh yeah i'm going to be smart and use the system to like you know make sure that i get extra money and like i pay less taxes and blah 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 it's like Oh, right. Well, we're supposed to allow that in America as being smart and industrious. But you know what it does? It defunds public education. It defunds the Department of Health and Human Services. It defunds the Department of Mental Health. It defunds the VA. Uh, do you want to keep going? It just it, it hurts well, and it also, human beings. It doesn't just hurt. Not only does it hurt human beings like this, it makes it more expensive for the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. There's There are people that are going to get received from the Department of Health and Human Services a notice that they're not allowed to have, or rather that their home uh, care is going to get taken away, right? Mm -hmm. There's going to be a legal battle from the ACLU that's shaping up because the ACLU has come out and said they will fucking go to court on this because you can't just take these benefits away from people without due process, right? So the state is going to have to pay for this court process that they're probably going to lose. On top of that, this state is, while they're not spending this money on these people at home, is either going to have to find way more money to put them in homes or individuals are going to have to give out way more money to put these people in homes because in-home care is way cheaper than putting, you know, people that need assistance going to the bathroom into a nursing home, right? So it's not only that it's hurting these people, it's that it's hurting these people and costing more than if we did it a different way. 
So it's at once directly destroying the quality of life for people, possibly killing some people, and costing you and me more money. Yep. Just so that Devin can have more money. Yep. Right? Um, and we're at a point where we can't get the government with over 70% of the votes as the, the, the lowest amount in either house supporting something to pass a tax increase on these people. Yeah. Like, our government is fundamentally fucked up right now. You know, what I want to see is not just this question, because I'm 100% voting for that tax increase. I'm telling you all right now, I'm voting for it. Um, if you don't vote for it too, like, why are you listening to this damn show, okay? Um, but it's not just that. I want to see on the ballot, and I want to see, maybe not in 2018, but hopefully by 2020, I want to see people running as candidates that want to repeal uh, state question 640 or putting it on the ballot to take that out of our constitution. Mm -hmm. Because it, it, it is class warfare, yeah. and that's what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that lends itself right into uh, our conservative reading list for the week. <laughs> So I think I see you've got another Oklahoma, <laughs> uh, another uh, story from the Oklahoma editorial board queued up. So I'm ready to hear what you have to say about it, sir. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I like really don't want to keep doing them, but they just make it so easy, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 like, <laughs> I feel you because like I I do a lot of reading too, and it's like there's a few places that have some good conservative writing, and like there's even some like I don't know like. I, I've considered, and we'll just let, let the listeners know, we've considered doing some, like, more complex stuff. Like, I, I've looked at some, like, legal briefs that are on, like, cases that are pending that are, like, very much, like, like hard-to-combat conservative, like, arguments that I think would be fun to, like, talk about with this. But, like, it's just, I don't know, like, it's boring fast. But also, like, th th these are just... The Oklahoma editorial board is insane. And I don't know who's letting them publish. But, like, it literally reads, like, like an eighth grader who is, like, writing, uh, like, a paper to impress their dad. And their dad is, like, a cigar smoking, like, sitting in his office, like, you know, talking down, like, like, like it's the 70s or something. He's just some caricature of a father figure. Like, it's literally what it's like. It's crazy. When it's also, like, to me on a certain level, it's the most politically salient thing to do in Oklahoma these days. Mm. Because... These guys act like they're just talking news, and it's just a bunch of bullshit in the most important news source in the state of Oklahoma, you know? Yeah. Like, we got to combat that on some level. Yeah. Hey, and well, that's what we're doing, baby. We out that's here. That's true. We out here. Uh, but that, let's get into it. Let's get yeah. into it. Because uh, this one's a bit different, actually, this week. I'm not just going to read it and yell. Um, <laughs> uh, impressive. Um, because I actually think that they did a pretty good job of describing what's going on in the state right now and why it's bad, it's just they missed the one thing. <laughs> um, and so we'll just go straight through it, right? They start. The continued failures of the legislature have left Oklahomans, conservative and liberal alike, angry and ready to vote lawmakers out en masse. These feelings aren't the product of a single vote on any one tax plan as happened Wednesday, but the result of years of failure to manage government. So far, so good. Yeah. Great. This, this is true. It's true. Um, the incompetence of Oklahoma lawmakers is not a recent development. Year in and year out, legislators have approved budgets filled with gimmicks that allow them to spend more money than what the state was taking in. 
This generated automatic shortfalls the following year and a self-created crisis atmosphere. Lawmakers would resolve those challenges by doing the very thing that created the problem in the first place, using additional budget gimmicks that again inflated government spending above reven revenue collections. Rinse, lather, repeat. Once again, I'm going to say that in general, this is correct, but we're starting to see the problem here, right? Because they're saying, you know, oh, they're not able to find the money they need, the continued revenue to keep these programs running, right? Also, I want to say that this uh, second paragraph goes directly to my point that what this is is a uh, like an eighth grader trying to impress their dad by being like, oh, look how I'm so conservative because the level of writing in, in putting rinse, lather, repeat in a professional writing is uh, pretty high. Yeah, I mean, you know, I do think that when I'm taking a shower and I look, at my shampoo, that is where I should be getting my writing inspiration, you know? Um, and I don't know why they haven't hired me yet because that's how smart I am. I can repeat stuff from shampoo bottles. Um, <laughs> now, we're gonna, now we're gonna start seeing, seeing the, the real problem though. I, I think if you've been paying attention, you might've guessed it, uh, but, but this paragraph really gets down to the, the point. Um, when, a state, when a state recession hit, caused largely by declining oil prices, Lawmakers found it much more difficult to continue the charade. Charade. Serious fun. Charade. Isn't it charade? I thought it, it was like charade. But, but for share. Nimbly. <laughs> 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 I thought that's what it was. Um, after all. Yeah, they just okay. dump a big old bucket of charade on her after her shows. <laughs> You're going to the Disney World. <laughs> can we auto-tune this whole bit? No. Is that a thing we can do? <laughs> um, serious financial management would involve thorough review of spending. They forgot an uh, article there. Um, detailed auditing of agencies and challenging the assumptions of programs and departments. Contingency plans that would allow for targeted cuts in times of shortfall that minimize damage and maximize benefits for Oklahomans should have been developed long before oil prices took a downward turn. They were not. And lawmakers haven't any ta haven't taken any step such steps since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I trip over my tongue because it's so well written. I can't really get it out. Um, I, that, that, but, just just yeah. Again, my my poor writing analysis on this is that like I have I, I I've written complex dense shit that's full of citations and reads like an insanity. But like I still read the words I intend my reader to read aloud so that I make sure I'm not giving them mind mush. And no one did does this. Whoever is typing this is typing this on like the like greasiest keyboard you can imagine on the most <laughs> filth covered. Like this is the kind of person who has like their entire desktop covered in icons of just like random folders and saved pictures. All right, the worst <laughs> kind of people. It's just like five different like links to the same folder because they think they were copying and pasting it. <laughs> They're actually, I think it might be, you know, that guy in the South Park episode where they're playing World yep. of Warcraft? Yep. And there's the guy that they try and kill. That's actually what they look like. Yep. Whoever's writing this. Uh, also important to note, this is supposed to be the editors of the Oklahoman that write this, right? Yeah, just no one is editing them, apparently. <laughs> well, it's just like, they don't know what editing is, I think. Um, oh, man. But, 
I think this paragraph is really important. Um, and, and I wanna I wanna look at one specific sentence here. I wanna go back to it, and then I wanna I wanna say something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's this this sentence. Contingency plans that would allow for targeted cuts in times of shortfall that minimize damage and maximize benefits for Oklahoma should have been developed long before oil prices took a downward turn. So I want to highlight that sentence because it says minimize damage and maximize benefits for Oklahoma. That they, you can't maximize benefits when you're cutting your spending, right? That, mm-hmm. that means people are getting fucked. That is what that means, Oklahoma editorial board. And number two, what they imply here is that when oil prices go down, we're going to have to cut government spending mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. What's important is that if you look at all the other states, Texas, North Dakota, Alaska, Louisiana, states that are very deeply tied to the oil industry, they haven't had this problem. And now that oil prices are going back up, of course, people aren't having this problem in general. But when those declining oil prices hit, these other states didn't have that. They didn't need to cut public education spending. They didn't need to cut healthcare spending. And you may be asking yourself, why, Adam? Why, Carl? Why? And the answer is surprisingly simple. And it's actually really straightforward. Uh, They taxed the shit out of oil when they were making money, and they saved that money for when oil prices went down because they know how the oil market works. If if you, I remember very clearly when I was working at uh, development at OU, we had oil and energy, whatever the fucking college is called, come in to talk to us about fundraising. And they're like, yeah, prices are down. Generally speaking, it's about three years that the market tanks, three years the market is good, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. There's a clear market cycle. Everybody knows about this that's involved in the oil industry. And every single other state that is tied to the oil industry was smart enough to just look at, you know, a graph of the oil industry profits or oil prices, any number of graphs that would impart this information and say, oh, at some point, the market's going to be shitty. What we should do is save up money for it. And the Oklahoman editorial board seems to not have that as a possibility in their head, right? This seems to be something beyond the ability, beyond their ability to think that if we just tax oil companies and save that money for when the oil economy isn't doing well, we won't have to have cuts, right? Yeah. And, and that's important because that's not a problem in any other state, right? If they just looked outside of Oklahoma, they would know this. But to them, because all they are is the mouthpiece of Devon and Chesapeake, they can't even think about that. They just assume that Oklahomans are going to have to see a cut in benefits when oil prices go down. Yeah, and I think, you know, like we said about the class warfare, and kind of hit that pretty hard today, and I think that it's a good point, but like... Communities are like self-insulating, and like disparities in wealth are what create like really bad outcomes in that sense in that like you know if you have someone who has like a massive house and they've just got like stacks of fucking food in there and then you know that they are eating so much food that it's like being detrimental to the rest of the like society and that like there's not enough food to go around it's like well that's what's going on in Oklahoma it's like not exactly that same thing but like these oil companies have become so bloated and have taken over the government and the legal structure to a point where they are, um, you know, basically holding the state hostage by like, oh, well, oil revenue's down. And so now 
there's not good taxing to be done. And, but like they have already like been fighting it so hard that now that there's a difficulty in actually having resources here, there's no backup. We haven't been you know, building up these resources while things were good. We've been trying to make, let them make more money while things were, you know, while there was money to be made. Now that there's no money to be made, we're upside down because there's no money that we put away. We let them keep all the money that they were making while the times were good, and now we're drowning. And, I mean, this is what, this is the kind of argument, what you just laid out, is, is generally how conservatives tend to talk about this stuff, right? They say, oh, you should save up money and live within your means. But all of a sudden, when these people who are so into saying government should be run like a business, blah, 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 right? All of a sudden, when that means higher taxes, when that means actual planning to deal with this kind of shit, it's just, what are you going to do? Oh, no. It's just, things have to be cut. It's, yeah. it's impressive how, how unable they are to conceive of oil companies paying their fair share. Um, but I want to I wanna get through the rest of the article and go kind of quick. This. I think there's a bit... A bit less meat in here, but I still think it's worth reading. Mm -hmm. um, and so they continue. Instead, they have chosen to approve across-the-board cuts based on no real review with no real planning. Sure, yeah. Whatever. Uh, why? why? <laughs> not, I mean, it's, just because, like, it's like on its face not true, which is frustrating to me, but like, whatever. Like, it's just, it just goes to like, like how terrible the Oklahoman is. Like, if you just want to make shit up and like lie and like just do that, but just don't print it as fact in, you know, tell people that shit. It's just that, it's not true, whatever. It, it's also like, okay, like, you're the people that are coming out saying we shouldn't raise the gross production tax. Mm -hmm. Like, like, how you gotta fucking sit here and say this, you know? Yeah. Really? Um, <clears throat> and then they continue. Um... All this, in turn, has generated demand for ever-larger tax increases on working Oklahomans. Coming from the same editorial board that said, cigarette tax is the only tax that should be passed. No other taxes. Shouldn't have any other ones. Targeted tax aimed directly at working Oklahomans. That is some fucking crocodile tears if I've ever seen them. Actually, if you skin the Oklahoman editorial board, pro tip to our listeners, they make great belts. Uh, they're hide. Wonderful belts, beautiful shoes. If you want to do that and send it to me, I will wear it all the time. Um, yes, I am advocating using their skin as leather. Um, <laughs> metaphorically, guys. Okay, metaphorically. Metaphorically. <laughs> um, and then they say something that's actually true. Republicans have been in charge the whole time and deserve the lion's share of the blame for not preparing for a downturn. Yeah, because that would mean tax increases that the Oklahoman editorial board doesn't like. They still don't get it. It's just, it's impressive. This, this article is some real pure ideology. Yep. Um, Mine got. Uh, and they go on, watching legislative quotes, leaders, du during the special session has been a lesson in how not to negotiate and how not to run government. Time and again, they have announced a last chance, plan to address budget problems, only to say, never mind, here's another plan when people cross their supposed red line. This has reduced their credibility and made it more difficult to round up votes for any single proposal. When people in every faction in state government have reason to believe they can get more of what they want by holding out, some are going to do so. Importantly, only true of Speaker of the House Charles McCall. Literally doesn't apply to anybody else involved in the special session. Listen to our whole show about this. <sighs> Listen to any of our shows about this subject. Read any of the other reporting on this. 
You know it's just Charles McCall that's the problem here. It's just they can't say Charles McCall because Charles Charles McCall is helping them write this shit. Yep. Um. Then they continue. These circumstances have generated the irony of lawmakers offering endless compromises without ever reaching compromise. Once again, Charles McCall, exclusively with Charles McCall, going to Mary Fallon and saying, we've reached a compromise within our party with no reference to Democrats and only in the House to pass a bill that we know that before you even called for the special session, Governor, the Democrats will not support so we can't actually legally pass it. So it's only Charles McCall that has demonstrated this problem. Yeah. Only Charles McCall. Entirely something we can put at his feet. <clears throat> Wednesday, the House considered and narrowly rejected, due largely to Republican members' opposition, legislation to enact $454 million in combined annual tax increases. It was far from a perfect bill, but it was one that many Oklahomans could have lived with. Except the Oklahoma editorial board before the bill was voted on. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> like... Like, just read the stuff they wrote before this. Read anything they say about the gross production tax. Anything they say about the special session. All they say is the cigarette tax is the only thing that should happen. Yep. Literally, listen to us talk about their article from last week, our conservative reading list from last week, where they say there should not be a gross production tax increase. Like, it's not... They can't even keep it consistent within a week of each other. And it's the same group of people. It takes yeah. five minutes to read these damn articles. It, it's just ridiculous. It's, I'm getting over it on some level, you know? Yeah. Um, and to finish it out, yet it went down in defeat, leaving alternatives, alternatives that so far have considerable flaws of their own. It was an utter failure, as the entire spe seven-week special session has been. Oklahomans can come financial challenges, overcome financial challenges, but not as long as poor leadership and crass gamesmanship reign among the state's political class. Oklahoma editorial board, we're not going to get past anything until you all learn how to write and until you all learn how to be consistent and until you all learn how to shut the fuck up. Yeah, hey, I'll uh, teach you guys how to write, too. You can pay me. I <laughs> got a college degree in how to be a writer, so... You just tell me when and I'll come work for you, Oklahoma editorial board. I'll even write conservative drivel for you. Oh, I can write anything. Watch. Taxes are bad. Whoa. <laughs> Actually, they're, they're tweeting. I just got a tweet from them. You're hired, Adam. Oh, You're my God. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> well, guys, there's going to be no show next week because I'm going to go work for the Oklahoma. <laughs> 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 oh. Well, that's a joke. We will have a show next week, and it'll be our 20th show. And I think we might have a little special surprise for everybody. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We're going to be working on it. But anyway, uh, if you guys want to check us out over at Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash redstaroverokay. Hey, if you're listening to this show, go give us a like, please. It really does help out. Help us get some more. Uh, it helps more people see our posts, the more people who like us. And so please do do that. Um, Go follow us over at Red Star Over OK on Twitter. Our subreddit is our Red Star Over Oklahoma. Our SoundCloud and iTunes, they're by the same name. If you got a question, comment, complaint, let us know over at redstaroverok at gmail.com. Tell your friends, you know, what we're doing is so important. Is in, you know, we try and make this so important. If you guys want to let us know how you what you think about the podcast or what you think about, you know, what kind of topics we should be covering or anything like that, if you guys want to come on and promote something, we would love 
to help you. One of the biggest things we want to do with this show is to put a focus on Oklahoma and to lift up Oklahomans who are doing really cool things because this state is freaking awesome. So tell your friends about us. Rate and review us on iTunes. I'm Adam Burnett. And that's my boy, Carl Roberts. You guys have a great week. Bye.